Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Blades for Days where we're going to talk about swords and sword fighting and Viking history. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is Roger Barry, the king or the Kanunga, the head honcho of the Vikings Reenactment Society. How are you doing? <laughs> Fine, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, just started uh, classes up again. Uh, yeah. So... You know, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, I started to go a little bit crazy during the the COVID lockdown, like everybody, I think. So, what about you? Well, my first day of work is tomorrow. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, well, it's the only only job I've got this month. <laughs> oh, really? Day. Yeah, I've got that four or five. I can't remember four or five uh, in um, next month in October, but mm -hmm. that's oh, and a couple in November. But but it all depends on. Uh, what's going on at school, you know. Yeah, yeah. Can you uh, tell people what it is you do? Uh, yes, uh, I'm, uh, I visit schools uh, teaching children about uh, mostly Viking history, but I do Saxon uh, and uh, Norman as well. Uh, but the majority, probably 95% of my work is, is Viking, because it's more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fun with that one. <laughs> No, that's cool, man. Um, how did you get into that? Yeah, well, um, I've been a real... Well, no, let's, let's go right to the beginning. I, I've been uh, an amateur historian since a child, since a detention many years ago, when the only thing I was allowed to do was read a book, and it happened to be a history book, so that got me into history. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, I became a war gamer. Through that, I learned about uh, reenactments. Uh, I joined the army, uh, served in Germany for a few years, and when, when I came back from Germany, what, 84, 85, I decided to get into reenactment. And I was thinking, English Civil War, still not, like everybody did back then, it was the only people I'd ever heard of. I just happened to bump into some Vikings. And they seemed to be having fun. Uh, so I uh, joined them, joined the Viking Society, uh, and started reenacting Vikings. and. It would be shortly around the time my son was born or shortly after. So around about 89, 90. Um, at a show, a Viking show, some teachers said, uh, would you visit our school? Um, so, okay, fine. Go along and do that. And three or four of us uh, went along to visit their school. We didn't charge them any money. We put on a bit of a display, talked to the children, let them see things and so on. Uh, Things moved on, we did a couple more, and we did a visit to a school, and a teacher said, well, we've got to pay you. Well, that's very nice, but we don't need paying. No, no, we insist. So we asked them, why are you insisting? Well, <laughs> if we pay you, it all goes horribly wrong, we can sue you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it's sort of like the penny dropped. There might be something uh, more professional should be done at this point. So, you know, yeah. we sort of started sitting down, thinking about it and developing it. Uh, and it eventually evolved into uh, a business. Uh, I visit to well, prior to lockdown, mm. I, I visit uh, over a hundred schools a year, um, teaching children about, as I say, mostly Vikings. So, and it's good fun because you never know what's going to happen. 
because they say don't work with children and animals <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and they always ask some outrageous questions as you come completely out of left field and you've got to be careful about answering some of them because sometimes it, you know you think the obvious answer pops into your head you think this isn't appropriate the answer for an eight-year-old <laughs> i'll let the teacher deal with that one <laughs> yeah and slowly back away absolutely <laughs> See, I thought that you'd gotten into it, because I know you did uh, fencing in the army, is that right? That's right. I was a fencing coach. Uh, back then, I was what's called an intermediate coach. I believe they've changed the names now, as organisations always do. Uh, I think they, it's county-level coach now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I fenced in the army. I didn't fence for the army, uh, although the uh, regimental team I was part of uh, was army champions a couple of times whilst I was in the team, so... Oh, that's yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a great fencer. I was a, an average fencer, if I'm lucky. <laughs> Compared to, you know, the, the sports and the people who aim at the Olympics, not, never, never any hope of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen, I've seen like some really, really good fencers hit the age of like 45, 50, and they're struggling with a flight of stairs because, you know. Wow. That is why I gave up. I uh, had uh, an injury in my groin or a pain in the groin. I went to the doctor and uh, once he'd interrogated me and worked out that I was a fencer, uh, he said, well, you've got two choices. He says, you can keep fencing uh, and that injury will get steadily worse. And by the time you leave the army, you might be walking with sticks or in a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, or you can stop. Well, I, like I said, I was never going to be uh, an Olympic champion. So I was doing it as a sport to keep fit and have fun yeah uh, you know it, 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 it i didn't have that killer instinct that drives these people that go up and stand on uh, an olympic podium so i thought no i'd rather walk thank you very much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why sword and shield's so good because it balances you you know the potential's there for similar types of injuries if you're doing it as much i i i as a fencer Definitely trained more than I do as a, did as, has ever, ever done as a Viking. Uh, and that was partly because I was in the army and we had all the time we wanted. You yeah. know, it, 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 sport was part of the job. In the army, sport is part of the job. It's part of keeping fit. So, sure. you know, you could you, you do some fitness training every day. And if, if you're a fencer, that will involve fencing maneuvers, even part of warm-ups, doing lunges, uh, you know, just to, to, to warm up. It strains the groin. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, in some respects, if you're in the army, you're a professional sportsman, yeah. no matter how good you are. <laughs> well, I suppose they're, they happen to represent that they've got the, the best, you know, physical specimens. Um, you know, if people come lumbering onto the fencing strip and, uh, and get absolutely thwarted, then, um, you know, it doesn't look good for them, does it? It doesn't, no, no. And, and, uh, uh, Army people are uh, generally, I'll say generally, I, I was going to say all, he said always, but it's not true. There's definitely some unfit people in the army, but generally army people are, are, are fit. So if you had an army team against, uh, you know, two fencing teams, one uh, in the army uh, of that same quality, and one in the army and one in civil street, the army people will generally be fitter, you know, and they they, they can wear, the, wear their opponents down uh, through stamina alone sometimes. And there's also, I don't know, it might not be true, but I have a feeling that the aggression is higher because, again, it's something that's instilled into soldiers. Uh, you know, that 
you've seen the old uh, fashion movies where they're screaming at somebody to uh, yeah. stick a bayonet in a in a sack of hay. Um, <laughs> you know, well, we used to do that. <laughs> you know, so it puts a bit of you know bit of fire in your belly. Yeah. <laughs> are we uh, are we thinking that we should do that for bike training? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's no way at all. The, the people wouldn't put up with it, to be perfectly honest. There's things that uh, I used to put up with uh, as a soldier and would put other people through, which I wouldn't dream of uh, doing with uh, civilians. No, uh, you know, don't forget there's an element, even though the British Army throughout the time I was in it, uh, it, it was a volunteer organisation. Uh, once you volunteer, you give up certain rights. <laughs> you, know, you subject yourself to military law and all the rest of it. And so when you say, well, I don't want to stick this bane in that sack of hay, well, you can go to the jail, young man, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Stay yeah. there until you think it, 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 you've rethought your priorities. You know, so they've got military law on their side so to make yeah. sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I yesterday I had my guys because COVID lockdown six months of idleness for a lot of them. Mm. Um, I had my guys doing like push-ups and lunges and stuff like that. Yeah, too. that's good. Uh, yeah, yeah, to get them back into shape. And um, you know, there was the, there was that sort of like general wave of hatred directed towards me as I was <laughs> doing it. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys, I'm doing it with you. <laughs> you know. So. Um, yeah, I, th I don't think it would go down too well in the bike, if you like. <laughs> you know? No. Um, there's, there's, we're, we're about, in reenactment, we're about controlling. We're trying to make it look mad and dangerous um, without it actually being mad and dangerous. Because the aim is not to injure your uh, friends, because that's what oh, they yeah, are. Oh, yeah, totally. You know? yeah. So, so that, that's why you can't, you can't, you wouldn't want to do some of the things that the, the military do. No, no, I no, think no, we've no. got a we've struck a good balance over the years when I've spoken to people from different reenactment societies and uh, who reenact different periods like the English Civil War, Napoleonics, things like that. Uh, when they look at what we're, we're, we're doing, they think we're absolutely balmy. <laughs> but English Civil War people have far more injuries than we do. Yeah, because they don't do what well, my impression it certainly is, that uh, they don't do as much close on physical combat training. It's mm -hmm. about the drill and then, you know, which takes a long time to learn and they don't have the time. They're only, they're only a militia at best because they don't train every day like the soldiers of the day did. You yeah. know, so, uh, it, so what time they've got, they've got to spend drilling to make sure those drills, because that's the visual spectacle they're putting on, are correct. They don't have the time left over to beat the crap out of one another. <laughs> <laughs> the worst story I ever heard about the English Civil War, and it, it, it's to do with their armor. Mm. Um, and basically the, the armor at the legs and the way it kind of like, um, the way it sits on the legs. These two blocks um, ran at each other. Yeah. And the people in the front rank, uh, the front ranks, got smashed into one another and lifted off their feet. Yeah. But one guy in the front rank, uh, who couldn't go backwards or forwards or either way, the armor either side of his legs basically closed in and sandwiched his testicles and crushed them. And he couldn't do anything except scream. Because yeah. his feet aren't even touching the floor. He can't yeah. even drop to the floor, you know? Um, 
And up, like, up until that point, I was like, oh, English Civil War, that looks pretty cool. Because I'm friends with uh, Russ Mason and he's done some of that stuff. And, um, you know, Ollie, my best mate. Yeah, yeah we, we, I think he's done like one or two things that are sort of English Civil War. And we were talking about them. But the moment I heard that story, I was like, nah, I'm out. I'm all the way out. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, to, 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 do, to reenact it properly so that it's fun and safe requires uh, more. Well, they need to do the amount of combat training that we do. But like I say, they don't have the time. Yeah. You, you know, it's, um, we're lucky in that uh, the few drills we ha have are simple. Uh, and in fact, we don't want them to look too good. You can have a Viking unit look too good because yeah. it wouldn't have been. You know, you might have a core of a dozen warriors around the chief who get everything right all the time, but everybody else should be a pile of poo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing their best. Yeah. Uh, the, well, they're just uh, some sad farmer that kind of got roped into it normally, right? Oh, yeah. The, uh, uh, well, think about what the bulk of the warriors are. They're bondy. Now, uh, bondy is uh, it actually means master. It doesn't mean it's not it's not the origin of the word bondman. Uh, that's an, it's got another root. The um, uh, but uh, but but they are farmers. They're masters of the house or masters of the farm. Their day job is farming or fishing or whatever, you know. Uh, uh, but they have a duty because of their social status to turn out for their lord uh, and fight. You know, like like the third in in uh, in with the English. Uh, so they're not professional soldiers. They have some skills that they've been taught, been passed down by their parents and uncles, uh, but um, that they're, they're not professional warriors in any way at all. You know, mm. uh, they don't train together often. You know, so, so yeah, until they're called out. You know, when they're called out, they might be put through some drill, but that's it. You know, just enough to get them into shield wall and stand there. And take it, you know. Yeah. And in fact, <laughs> interestingly, the Vikings weren't very good warriors. And we get about them have been fantastic because of the myth. But if you run the scores on the doors and look at who wins most of the battles, say when they come to Britain, the locals won most of the battles. The English defeated the Vikings more often than not in battle. The thing is, the Vikings had ships, they discovered the rivers, they realized what the Roman roads could do for them. And they turned up and they raided and they disappeared again before uh, the um, uh, English could get the troops together. Once the English got their troops together, they usually beat the Vikings. The, uh, it, it's like um, uh, Afghanistan for the Americans. Mm. You've got a professional army dealing with uh, uh, people turning up in the middle of the night, blowing something up and disappearing again. That's, what ha that's how England was defeated. It was defeated by guerrilla warfare for the most part, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting because the Vikings have this like really fearsome reputation. And if you watch shows like the Vikings, you know, you get the Saxons who are these kind of like quivering, you know, like milk sots. The, the English uh, uh, were from pretty much the same culture. Uh, yeah. they, 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 they had the same levels of training, same equipment. Uh, they had a big advantage over the, the Vikings in that they were incredibly rich, uh, had a super tax base and were able to build... Uh, uh, as many ships they wanted when they decided to do that they 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 could provide uh, arms for extra people uh they spent huge amounts of money on defenses eventually uh you know because it was a rich country while the vikings were coming here um mm. but uh, as i said the the, the if you were uh, the people who were saying the vikings are incredibly fierce and nasty and horrible 
up the, the fishermen and farmers in villages which had been attacked by Vikings. Virtually undefended, you know, these nasty people turn up, waving swords, burning things and pinching people and then their, their property. They're going to say they're fierce. They're not going to say, oh, a bunch of really nice chaps, well-dressed, turned up and asked us to hand over our kit and we decided to hand it over. No, no, they were horrible to us, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, oh, and the church, of course, they didn't have a good word to say about the Vikings yeah. for obvious reasons, you know. Uh, what, a, what a fine place to store all your valuables. Um, just church. for... Um, just for uh, clarity for our American friends, um, when Roger says pinching people, what he means is abducting them, not like running up and pinching them. Like <laughs> 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 giving them a pinch instead of... <laughs> yes, that is what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Taking people as slaves. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but either, actually, either meaning would work because, no, you know, it, it, <laughs> they, 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 uh, uh, it was... They might as well have... It, they, they, Warfare, uh, in the time we're talking about, early medieval period, was mostly about being pretty rotten to uh, poor peasants. Uh, the, uh, it, because it was very difficult to find your enemy and fight him. That's uh, what, what the English had a problem with, trying to find the Vikings, fight them, and the Vikings were trying to avoid them most of the time, uh, except when they had a massive advantage in numbers, then they would settle down and have a fight. Uh, but as I say, most fights, most battles were won by the English. Uh, the, um, uh, uh, the the way you conquered a, a territory was by ravaging it, uh, uh, driving off the people's animals, burning their crops, burning their houses down. And the main uh, method of defending a piece of territory was to drive the peasants from their homes and burn their crops and houses and uh, as well, to deny that resource to the enemy. So mm. the poor old peasant is getting it in the neck from both sides. Yeah. I mean, they did that. They did that for a long period of time because the the English, when they invaded France, did the same thing. Chevrolet. Um, yeah, yes. that's it. Yep. And you're not just uh, you're not just denying that resource to the enemy because you're driving the peasants to other population centres. Then the resources are halved again because whatever the other peasants have to eat, um, you know. You, mm. Yeah, yeah. So you're quickly running out of that. Um, and it is it, it is basically terrorism and like you said guerrilla warfare and hit and run is it just viking reenactment that you've done or have you tried others um no i've only i've stuck with the vikings i've been at other reenactments and watched what they're doing um and uh it's either not appealed to me or i've been a bit wary of what they're up to uh, the clankies, as I call them, you know, the the the, the people do a hundred years war, wars of the roses, wearing their armor, do seem uh, madder than we are, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they because they, they've got the armor, they don't pull their blows, you know, uh, you know, so they they smack into one another. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, the Battle of the Nations lot as well, and I mean, I'm watching that, and I'm and I'm like, wow, that is insane. They've got, um, you know, the the. Again, really heavy armor. If I'm not much yeah. mistaken, and I might be because Battle of the Nations is not my wheelhouse, I occasionally sort of uh, look it up and things like like that, like uh, Boo Hurt as well. Yeah. And their armor, as far as I'm aware, is like titanium. Um, and they're just as well. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're running at each other, and they're just, it's basically like a rugby match, but with men. Football. 
Yeah, yeah, American football, um, but with melee weapons. And it, like, there's a part of me, there's a part of me that still thinks that I'm 19 years old. That's like, yeah, let's do that. And then there's another part of me that's like, I've got work tomorrow. You know, <laughs> like... Well, you make, uh, inadvertently, I suspect, make a, a good point. Uh, warfare, for the most part, is a young man's game. It always has been, uh, and it still is. You know, the majority of soldiers are under 30. Uh, uh, and uh, if you want somebody to do something insane, you've got to make sure they're under 25. Uh, yeah. You know, because people under 25 will do pretty much anything, uh, you know, as long as they're properly mentally motivated. I mean, yeah. you've only got to look at, again, uh, modern times and the, the ages of most suicide bombers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, 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 it's because the young, young men especially, uh, under 25, uh, it's easy to influence by old people, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, the <laughs> who convince them of some sort of cause and get them yeah. to do something that. And that's that's why armies are made up, or one of the reasons armies are made up of these people. I mean, you well, say that, but um, I was talking to Emmett on this podcast uh, last week, and Emmett is a friend of mine who's a, a blacksmith and um, he does historical European martial arts as well. And I was talking about the competitive elements of reenactment because a lot of people outside of reenactment in historical European martial arts or some of the other things that I've encountered think that everything that happens in reenactment is choreographed um, because the show is kind of part of the yeah. big deal. Um, so what you were saying about the younger guys being, you know, the best warriors and things like that. It's always, well, not always, but it's usually, you know, gang, John Finch, uh, Cornelius, like these guys at the end of the circle, the competitive circle. I didn't say the younger guys are the best warriors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I said they're basically the cannon fodder. Oh, okay. The, uh, they're, 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 they're the armies are made up of those. You know, sure. uh, 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 and they do the bulk of the work. They absorb the wounds and the missiles the enemy is going to throw <laughs> at them, allowing the superstars, the chieftains, the heroes uh, to get on with the fighting. Right. In okay. fact, uh, if you look at heroic combat, like um, uh, as uh, immortalized in the Iliad, uh, it, the, the bulk of the serious fighting is done by the heroes. Uh, mm. And their warriors are there to appreciate <laughs> them and ensure that their legend travels on to the future you know right. there, there is an audience you know and once the superstar the hero the chieftain is down and dead there's no reason to fight anymore you know sure. depending on the level of the, the the culture you might have to stay and die with uh, over your uh, leader's body um but a lot of them would run away um as shown many times i mean in our period the malden poem demonstrates that quite nicely uh mm. with um oh, when burtnoth is down his half troop gather around him and fight to the death but the bulk of the warriors run away we did that really fun game in god manchester and it that was the game it was if your leader gets knocked down then mm. the oh yes that's right I, that, that, yeah I, I brought that in yes that's right yeah that was good yeah. that was nice um I think that's when I found out that you were a fencer because I didn't know before then. Oh, um, right. Yeah, I because I managed to land uh, a hit on your shoulder 
and it was the terminology that you used. You went, that was a nice touch. And I was like, because I'm not used to people <laughs> saying that. They, you know, and I was like, oh, he fenced. He used to fence. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, a lot of the terminology we use uh, in our training is fencing because you know I wrote the original handbook for uh, the. Bible. No, I didn't actually. Yeah, I was the training officer who brought it in and wrote the handbook, and of course I lifted everything from fencing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Eh? Well, uh, fighting distance that we refer to is based on fencing distance. Mm. I didn't lift it exactly, I adapted it for, for us, but uh, you know, fences have something called fencing distance, it's where you can strike your opponent without having to move your feet. Yeah. That's uh, fencing distance, fighting distance is the same for us. Yeah, we, um, we use similar terms in historical European martial arts and in fencing yes. as well, where we're, we talk about measure. With you being the training officer, it, is that what led you to be the king? Because I remember years, well, years back, yeah. I don't remember sure. You drove me to the hospital because I'd lacerated my eye. Yeah, I remember and that. I thought it was a guy who'd done it, and I felt really bad because he was a new guy. And all I saw was I turned around, and as I as I sort of spun on my heel, there's a guy running at me with an axe raised. And the next thing I know, my eye is in agony. So I thought he'd hit me in the eye with the axe. But yeah. what had happened was, as I turned around, a branch that had been snagged on my shoulder whipped up and cut my eye open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had to wear an eye patch for about three weeks after that. <laughs> At least you looked cool. <laughs> you got a black one, anyway. it, was one of those, it was one of those like paper eye patches that looked really naff, you know? Um, I, I didn't look like Snake Pliskin or anything. I just like, you know, I poked myself in the eye or something. <laughs> it wasn't my finest moment. No. I felt really bad because he was new, but I thought he just hit me in the eye with an axe. So I had a few choice words for him. And then I had to hunt him down at the next show and just apologize. For yes. Like, I'm yes. really sorry. Like, as, yes. as far as I knew, you were running up with, with an axe and then my eye exploded. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we were talking about on the way to the hospital, I think maybe to keep my morale up, you were talking to me about like becoming the king. How yeah. journey like? Well, we were at a show at uh, Rutland and Denby. We were doing Denby one day, then Rutland, and then back to Denby. And went to Rutland, and uh, I was fighting in the in the line, and we there were some archers on the other side, and one of the arrows struck me uh, in the face, just here, uh, broke, chipped my, no my, my nose, it knocked me out. Um, uh, it was all very dramatic, and I was yeah. taken to hospital and stuff like that. Now, when I came back, the Sati was having its first, or it might have been its second, all thing. Um, uh, and uh, everybody was very wound up about this incident, uh, and they were on the point of uh, banning archery. Uh, so I stood up and I said, well, look, I'm the guy that got shot. I don't think we should ban archery, you know, just because we have, uh, you've had an accident. What we need to do is sit down and work out uh, how to do it properly. Yeah. So the, the, the chieftain at the time said, well, do you want to be an archery officer? I said, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> 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 Completely forgetting he already had one, by the way, that was an archery officer, um, oh, wow. Zan Norman, uh, who lived uh, from the Norwich group, uh, living in, uh, uh, who wasn't at this event. So she was a bit put out uh, <laughs> when she found out So there were two archery officers there. Uh, anyway, um, what I went away is uh, I devised the first archery test. 
uh, and until uh, recently, uh, since Mike, Mike has taken over now, uh, made some changes, the archery test that I originally wrote, uh, what, that would have been somewhere around about 1989-ish, uh, or maybe before that, uh, uh, the, um, to, the to, to this year or last year, um, uh, hadn't changed apart from you know, minor little tweaks here and there. It's basically the same thing. Uh, so, uh, and it's pr pr proved worthwhile. It's, it's achieved our end. Um, so I, be, I was the archer officer and I did that for a few years, um, which established me on a society level, you know, in that people, that my profile went up. So when um, uh, the uh, first person to hold the title, Kanunga, as it happens, which is um, uh, Chris Robinson, uh, he was the high chieftain at the time, uh, the um, uh, needed a new um, training officer, he asked me to do it. Uh, and I agreed, uh, but he also gave me a task. He says, "There's no structure. That there, 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 we need tests." There, there was one test. There was something called the Drenger test or the Freemanship test. It was actually called at the time, where you did everything. Everything that's uh, done uh, 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 with a with a sword or a hand axe or, or a sea axe was done in one big test. It also included uh, formation training and uh, acting and display combat. It took all day to run this test. Um, so uh, I, I was tasked with sorting it out and writing tests for the weapons we didn't test. We didn't test spears and axes. <laughs> uh, not axes. Like the, the most dangerous one. Yeah, they, they just did, they, they were trained, but they weren't yeah. tested. You know, not not consistently. Their training officer would train them and say, "Then yes, it's okay to use that." And that was that. Uh, there was no common standard. So uh, that was my job to to work out uh, assessments for all the individual weapons or tests originally. Uh, the um, uh, I'll tell you why we go all assessments and not tests in a moment. <laughs> the, uh, uh, so tests for all the weapons um, uh, uh, and all the skills because basically I broke up the the freemanship test into its component parts uh, so that became basic combat and advanced combat um, display combat um, formation combat I think they're the four things we chip broke it here broke it up into those four parts so yeah that 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 got that going uh, I did uh, training officer for about five years by then I was second in command to um, uh, uh, to Tony um, Tony Sayer uh, and then one one battle hastings he said do you want to do the kanunga's job the big job i think yeah <laughs> biggest mistake i said mr life was saying yes hey <laughs> <laughs> yeah um because right so for the longest time you know mike corbett friend of mine that i got into the bike society little dude Probably. yeah you know he's he's never happy uh, I love him to pieces, but he's never happy about anything. Anyway, we were at, um, ah, I can't remember, I think it was Kelmarsh, actually. We were at Kelmarsh, and he'd been a part of the Viking Society for about two years, and he didn't know that the Viking Society had a king, because while you're a kid, it, it's basically, you know, you're... CEO, you know, you know, you're, you're kind of voted in. It's not that, you know, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know how the how the Viking society works, we we don't have to kneel and no fealty. I mean, we have you ever had anybody do that? Yes, yes, I don't like it. The <laughs> um, the uh, 
there are people that, especially in the early days, the, f the first half of my tenure, the right. um, uh, some people, you know, come and say your majesty and stuff like that. I don't like it because they're the wrong terms anyway. I mean, your majesty doesn't come in <laughs> yeah. till, the, till the middle of, uh, middle of the Middle Ages. It's uh, my lord or um, king or whatever. They, 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 uh, or your grace if you're a Christian is the proper term. <laughs> You know, well, is it to refer to uh, an early medieval king? Rupert Kelmarsh, and because um, you very rarely, I think I've seen you wear finery once. Well, in, I wear it at banquets and ceremonial occasions, you know. Yeah, but I, I generally, I've, I'm usually busy around the banquets, uh, yeah. or, you know, I just, I, I've never actually been to one of the banquets. It's the only time I wear the crown. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask you about the crown, because you get, you've got a silver crown. That's right, yeah. And that's given to you. Do you get to keep that, or do you have to hand that? No, it's uh, it, there, there, there's there's two crowns, um, the king's and the queen's crown, if you like, uh, right. and they were originally made for Tony Sayre and Charlotte, his wife, mm -hmm. uh, after they'd been or, in the job uh, for ten years, okay. uh, as a, a and had transformed the society. The society was at a, a low point when Tony took over in numbers and in, in a number of respects and during his tenure he, he brought it up from around about 300 members to a thousand and it's been consistently above a thousand since then in fact it's been hovering around the 17 1800 mark now for the last several years um the um so they were made for 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 them as a sort of thank you mm. um but of course, when he stood down, you know, there was never he was never going to wear the crowns again. So he handed them back to the society, society property. Uh, and uh, I wear the crown at banquets. Sue, my wife, uh, wears the other one. Uh, as you may not may know, she's not a reenactor. She just dresses up for the banquets and wears the crown there as my consort. <laughs> um, and that's what's going to happen when I hand over the uh, the crown to move on to the. Uh, the the next person that's doing the job because that's what you said uh you said to me jordan you'll never be king because i said i'd be wearing that crown all the time i'd be sitting there in the bath with the crown on you know? comfortable <laughs> <laughs> gives you a headache <laughs> oh does it oh no so like that expression heavy lies the crown is like quite a literal one. <laughs> it's quite literal yes yeah. well like i was saying because like i said you rarely wear finery and um, I was talking to Mike, uh, and he's, you know, we're, we're just having a bit of a chat. And you came around begging for coffee. You had your coffee tin with no coffee granules or beans in it. Does anybody have any coffee to spare? I was like, sorry, mate. At the time, I didn't drink any. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. And then you wandered off. And um, Mike went, who's that? And I said, oh, that's the king. And he went, well, that guy begging for coffee beans. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So, well, as, as you know now, my favourite thing at the moment is slinging. Oh, uh, yeah. And socially, you've got to be right at the bottom of the ladder to use a sling. So, so the king of the society, I play a peasant with a sling. Yeah. King of the <laughs> I, I think that's one of the strengths of our society. We've never uh, linked uh, what your position within the society, as far as management is concerned, with your king of the society, the Kanunga, or Yarl leading a group. Uh, to what people portray on the in the show, yeah. people are allowed to spend whatever they want on their kit, 
So if they join the society and within a month they've got the uh, high status kit, they're welcome to wear it. Yeah. Uh, now I I know of well I, things may have changed, but in, it certainly when I started in reenactment, there were societies where you know if a, a newbie had to dress as a peasant and their 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 what they wore was based on their rank uh, within the society. Now that has problems. Yeah. Because just because you can, uh, just because you uh, have achieved the rank of Yarl doesn't mean you can afford to buy the kit. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and vice versa. You know, just because you can afford the kit doesn't mean you're any good at running a group. Yeah. Um, no, so, so we separate the two. Our, our ranks are administrative. They're to measure your performance uh, and what you've done for the society as a whole um, uh, uh, rather than uh what you're portraying you know yeah i've actually had a problem with other societies or not other societies sorry other groups where because on the fields um you know i'm acting a role as an aggressive loudmouth you know (laughs) essentially (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah i mean you know i have my moments but But I mean, like, you know, hyper-aggressive. Yeah, hyper-aggressive. but that's what you're supposed to be doing. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, like, I've had it where I've been in the King's Court and I've made threats and all this sort of stuff. But like, And even within the Vike Society, where I've, like, had a go at somebody, and then we come off the field, um, and somebody's, like, you know, they've, they've, they're giving me the cold shoulder. I'm like, what's, what's going on? And they're like, well, I don't like the way you spoke to me there. <laughs> I'm like... I'm playing a role. It, don't, you know, don't it, even worry about it, it. It is difficult, you know. And the better the actor you are, the worse it is. Yeah. Uh, the uh, it's like uh, when uh, we 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 always say we like people when they've been hit to roll down, fall over, go ah, I'm mortally wounded and, and and die dramatically. If you do that, everybody stops and asks you if you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I, yeah that's, that's unfortunately, you have to temper it. If you're going to ham it up, you have to be silly. <laughs> I, I know it's mad. I mean, that's what I do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a dramatic actor, but yeah. uh, I like me funny voices. I mean, I don't know if you've seen uh, me in gang working sometimes. Yeah. There's a couple of, sh- you know, when I put on my silly French accent. Yes. <laughs> so, for <laughs> um, playing a Norman. Uh, so, People, you know, if you if, if if you inject a bit of comedy into it, uh, they're they're less likely to take take offence. Uh, and I don't think the audience is mind. You know, I I I remember um, English heritage can be a bit stuck up at times. And uh, we were doing a, a a show in August at Battle Abbey, site of the Battle of Hastings, um, as sort of a build up towards the main battle. Uh, that year in fact it was one of the mega years where we had uh, um, that I think it was the year we had 2,000 people on the battlefield Uh, and uh, they wanted us to tell the story of Hastings up to but and not including the actual battle of Hastings the build-up to it so we decided to tell the story of uh, Harold being shipwrecked uh, 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 in, uh, in, uh, uh, on the coast of France and being rescued by um, uh, William and, and taken on expedition and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and uh, we said we're going to do Hrothgar's saga. What's that, they said. You know what I mean, but nobody else yeah. does. Uh, it's a comic 
<laughs> telling of the story where I, Rothgar, tell the story and uh, the actors in the arena, the, the, uh, the reenactors, perform it. And they do it in a, a light-hearted and silly way. Now, the English heritage were cautious to, <laughs> not quite opposing it, but they were stuck at this point in that we were the only act they had. <laughs> so <laughs> if they said no, there wasn't anything, anything was going to happen, but they were not happy, happy uh, that we were going to do a comedy thing. But it went down a storm. Yeah, you know, we did all the usual stuff, you know, when when uh, people fell in the water, we threw water, water on them because they were shipwrecked and they got wet. Uh, the, the character playing Harold spoke with a terribly posh English accent, uh, whilst Duke William had his silly French accent, and Conan uh, of Brittany, he spoke with an Austrian accent. And that's what Rothgar's saga does, it does connect to modern times and the audience loved it you know they, yeah. they were actually oh. stitches of course English heritage were then happy because they had such good feedback off the audience so they realized you can have comedy in history yeah I Not mean Dean guys still does it at the um at the games expo in Birmingham and yeah. um we did, uh, you know, it's basically you're pretending that you're on a boat and all the all the sort of Viking reenactors, they're playing along, being on the boat, and then, yeah, you're, you're spl getting splashed with water and you're doing... And it's great, and it killed, because you've got kids in the audience. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Like, a lot of them, you don't want to give them post-traumatic stress disorder from... Uh, well, that's, that's it. I remember... Um that many years ago, we toyed with the idea of uh, special effects, <laughs> and um, uh, the uh, my son, who was at the time was about eight, was quite ha was keen to be tortured. His children are a bit bit weird. So um, <laughs> the um, uh, what was it? Uh, what Maria Padley, uh, who was the uh, who did a brilliant. Um, uh, leech display at shows back then she she was a, a medieval doctor uh she fashioned some teeth out of uh hazelnuts or walnuts some nutchy i don't know she, she fashioned some false teeth uh we had to uh, she, she knew the recipe for a bit that quickly produced a, uh, some blood type effect so uh, uh owen was captured and tortured on the battlefield and we're ripping his teeth out and he's spitting blood over it well of course we were upsetting people <laughs> so I did that again. I thought, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that uh, ever again. And we, it, it, it was clearly, clearly backfired. Yeah. But there was a group uh, in the society back then uh, that uh, uh, were. Well, I'm not saying they pitched our idea. I think they were doing it before we were. Um, um, Tearsleaf, it was called. Uh, they, they were uh, based in in Leicester, uh, and they kept doing. Uh, blood bandages and stuff like that uh, and it did cause uh, some distress uh, eventually they left the society right why actually i don't, don't think it wasn't related to that it was it was a thing uh, and they formed uh, the vikings of middle england okay uh, who i believe continue to do do that as well i think they're the only well certainly the only people to do it a lot um because it because it, it is a youth certificate performance. performance uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, re I remember level um, performance. Uh, Conway Castle years ago, small event run by um, my group at the time, yeah. um, as in I was a member, not that they belonged to me. Um, I was fighting with my friend Jess, and we were down 
the audience were looking down at us because we were in what used to be a sort of basement area, but they could, you know, it, it became an arena and it was a great arena because you're sort of surrounded by walls and the audience are sort of shouting encouragement down at you. Uh, and it's, it's like a small amphitheater. And um, I pinned her sword against the wall with uh, mine. And then I moved in and I just, because it was a show fight, you know, I moved in and I grabbed her by the neck right and i just started like pretending to strangle her and she did a great job of acting out that she was uh um that i was strangling her to death or i was squeezing too tight i can't remember it was one or the other but <laughs> you know she she acted it out really well and whereas up until that point every time you got a hit every time you got a you know every time you killed somebody in a showy fashion everybody was cheering it was just quiet you could have dropped yeah. the pin. And I was like, <laughs> I had to shout up at the kids. I'm like, no, she's all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny to say that the last time I got in trouble with our health and safety department, and I'll leave the names for somebody for you to work out, uh, was strangling somebody. Uh, it, was in, it was when I was um, developing the sling, uh, at, and it was at Corfe Castle. And um, uh, 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 what's his second name? Duncan from not I know who you, know, you mean. You know what yeah. I mean, yeah, the, 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 nobody else yeah. will, but anyway, a gentleman called Duncan, uh, whatever else he was, he's a, he's a good showman uh, uh, and, you know, could roll with punches. Anyway, I had the sling. Uh, he just won uh, a single combat and um, I came up behind him with my sling, apparently put it around his neck and strangled him to death. And he played the role and went down and died and everything. That was fantastic, you know, and the audience loved it. And of course he got up afterwards, he was fine. I wasn't strangling, you know, it was, yeah. it was acting. Uh, but uh, the grief I got, <laughs> not, not from the audience this time, but from the health safety people, but I was strangling somebody and saying, well, 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 I didn't strangle him. I mean, why did just because it looked like I was strangling like everything yeah. else we do. <laughs> you know, we fight with swords, right? <laughs> Oh, I mean, he was. They were afraid that I was actually good. If what was there as an accident, it's all down to how you hold this. The thing. If you wrap the the string of the sling around your wrists and hold it tight, it will. You could strangle somebody even by accident, at least hurt them. But you don't. You you gather everything up in your hand. So if they do like lurch forward, it just comes out your hand. It's not attached to your hand. They just put it. They pull it out the hand. It's it's all baked. You know, so. yeah, yeah, no. yeah, you've got to be careful strangling people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really good quote. Um, like, <laughs> you've got to be really careful strangling people. <laughs> Make sure they're proper dead. <laughs> I've stopped them afterwards if you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, should we talk about the Battle of a Thousand Spears? Because that's going to happen next year. And um, I mean, we haven't had any shows this year because of COVID, unfortunately. Um, so Battle of the Th a Thousand Spears will hopefully make up for that next year. Oh, I'm, glad you I'm glad you came down to hopefully. We're hopeful that there will be a show, including a Battle of a Thousand Spears. Yeah. Uh, I'm perhaps yeah. a little more pessimistic about the future than you, but we're planning, we're going ahead uh, at the moment. Mm. Um, what happens between now and then? Well, somebody can start World War III, <laughs> you know, but that's the plan. Yeah. Um, so what is it, just so people are aware? 
Well, the name, the, the answer's in the name. We're looking to get um, a lot of people on the battlefield. The, the, the goes back a few years. Uh, again, tell you the story. Um, uh, we had a, uh, have been going through a lean period since the recession of uh, 2008. Uh, the number of shows that we uh, get, as uh, uh, big ones that is, are declining. Um, uh, and we've been looking for uh, things to do to improve things and uh, thought about organizing our own shows now it's not as simple as it might seem it's, it's easy enough for us to turn up at someone else's show when they've organized everything you know what have you uh, but uh, organizing our own i don't know anyway we decided that we would eventually have a go um the driving force that personally kicked this off uh was uh, uh warwick kincaid uh who came up with the idea of doing a a really big show because uh, I think the original ideas were uh, when we were first talking about it was a normal size. I made a show, yes, but not targeting masses of people, just an ordinary thing. So uh, it coincided with also the fact that our 50th anniversary is coming up, which is next year, um, uh, and the fact that we uh, had a fair amount of money sitting around not doing an awful lot. So we do have a cushion in that sense. Uh, anyway, the aim is uh, that it has developed into uh, being a, a celebration for us. So uh, get as many of uh, the bike at one, at one, in one place as possible. And also we'd like to show off what we can do to other people. So we're going to showcase what we do. Um, get them to enjoy having uh, arrows shot at them and um, <laughs> slings uh, thrown at them or javelins thrown at them. You know, the th things that... Uh, perhaps don't happen in some societies. I mean, we've spent a lot of time uh, developing our weapon systems, uh, particularly the missiles. The hand-to-hand -hand combat, relatively straightforward. Okay, the people are gonna argue about the length of a spear and stuff like that. Um, people are gonna have different tests and stuff like this, to, but the, the, everybody's got the same objective. They're looking to find safe weapons and find a safe way of using them and, you know, just because their answer is different to ours doesn't make it wrong, makes it different. Uh, the, the places where there are big differences, funny enough, are in the missiles. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the archery being the main one, which most people understand, uh, there are bigger differences there. Uh, so we're having to be more cautious on that. But yeah. uh, we, we want them to adopt our system, at least for this show, and see how much fun they can have with it. Yeah. And, and I think we're the only people using slings as well at the moment okay uh, yeah javelins uh, are new to us as well so as yeah that's something that's only been around for a few years isn't it slinging slinging uh yes I, I mean, uh, not not slinging it's itself because that's been around for like a few thousand years but i just mean for for a long time nobody could work out how to do it safely uh, no yeah i've only ever done i've only ever tried uh using a slingshot um once and it was when i was about six years old and i was with my father who's a bit of a rogue um and um he took me up to the allotments around the back of these uh, houses where we used to live in flankelling um because i grew up in the valleys uh they're on the valleys so we were in flankelling we went up around the back of the houses these uh, conservatory areas and he showed me how to do it slung a rock it was pretty good his um you know, he, he could hit uh, a tree. Oh, good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But then he's like, ah, oh, let me show you. Um, so I tried it and it, yeah, it went behind me and it went yeah. flying 
um, it went flying behind me and I just heard this glass break um, and uh, I was just looking at the direction where the where I had heard the glass broken and I, I looked up to my father to say like what uh, what do we do now and I looked up and he was gone yeah he was already gone he's just run. he's like run you know so just vanished uh, so that was the one time I did it, and since then I've been kind of traumatized. Like I haven't, I haven't done it since. Um, I've seen. You will get over it. It's very satisfying when you get it right. And it, and if um, I or Taryn or one of the other experienced singers uh, show you how to do it, uh, you'll get it quite quickly. There, we have two techniques: underarm and overarm. Now the underarm technique is the one we teach first because it can be mastered quite quickly. Uh, uh, and uh, it's the, the the overarm one is trickier, uh, it, it, but but don't start with that because you you will be disheartened. If you go for the underarm technique, you can learn very quickly and achieve the goal, and even get up to passing the the, the assessment quite quickly uh, if, with the underarm technique. So you get the satisfaction out of it, and it is yeah. satisfying. It's, no, no, no. I mean, it looks fun. It does look fun. It is. Yeah. I like I, I do like the more up close and personal engagement. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I said I was in the army. I was in the Royal Artillery. So oh well, there you go. Then. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have a trebuchet. Just you know. oh, I'd love one, but they're not our period. <laughs> no, I know, I know. The, the biggest thing we can do is a staff sling. You know, I've got one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so that that's as far as we can go. And, and then I can only use you can't use a staff sling unless it's a siege. It's not a, it's not a, it wasn't, there's absolutely no evidence of it being used in the field, you know, uh, and as I say, only the the peasants of the defending side, the Vikings wouldn't use slings, except at home. Some people who lived in Norway, Sweden and Denmark might have defended their homes with a sling. The people who were of the status to go abroad and uh, on a business trip, didn't take slings with they weren't that type of person you know there there, there was uh, it, it, there was some social snobbery to the weapons even among sling uh, um uh, uh, uh the vikings the most probably you know knew how to use one though they, you know they, but, but they would have used it for hunting if anything uh, yeah. but, and they used them in sieges mm. they used things in sieges and they used uh, staff slings in sieges as well uh, there's there's some evidence tenuous evidence admittedly but uh, there uh, there is evidence uh, that points in that direction uh, that they use uh, when when they they described for instance at siege one of the sieges of paris as uh, using their their siege weapons or weapons of war uh, 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 no what's the phrase i forgot but uh, siege weapons it's it's likely to have been staff slings nothing more sophisticated than that it's not like in the uh, tv series the vikings i don't know if you've seen the episode when they lay siege to Paris. Yeah, I think actually that might have been the last one I watched. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I've not watched the latest ones that I've eventually got. Mm. When, when uh, was it the last thing I saw was Rollo leading the French army into Skagga, uh, a fleet, uh, thinking, oh, come on, this has really gone too far now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was uh, talking to Emmett Byrne and uh, a friend of mine, um, Alex Timmerman. He's out in uh, Florida. I think I mentioned him to you. He, yeah. he runs Crack uh, and Swords, so he makes swords, but he also fences. Uh, and we were talking about, you know, movies and enjoying movies and how you have to just like flick that switch in your head 
that's like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to analyze this. I'm just going to watch it. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Because um, have you seen The 13th Warrior? With, yeah. I love that film, yeah. right? I adore that film, but I don't know what it is about that film where I'll give that a pass where you've got Vikings in plate armor. Right? <laughs> I don't know why I'm happy to give that film a pass. And yet the Vikings, I'm like, oh, it's a bit bloody. I've stuck with the Vikings mostly. It's, it's, it's now that uh, Ragnar's dead and the, uh, the Ragnarsons oh, are taking boy. over. Pardon? I said spoiler alert to anybody listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's dead, been dead a thousand odd years. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. yeah, it's getting sillier with, with Ivar, the boneless, the, their portrayal of him, uh, I'm not happy with. And, yeah. and, uh, I mean, here's uh, uh, how bloody pedantic I can be. There was the, one of the last episodes I saw was when they were in York uh, and uh, the English get into York. And the Vikings are hiding in the sewers of York. And the English see all these rats running around uh, that have come out of the sewers. Well, the problem is there were no rats in Britain back then. <laughs> <laughs> Brown rats they were. Brown rats didn't get, don't get to Europe to the middle of the 15th century. Uh, there were black rats, but they were in the Mediterranean and uh, because they're, they're a Mediterranean creature. The, there were no black rats. Well, there may have been some black rats in uh, port cities, uh, you know, in, in uh, warehouses, which I suppose York counts. Uh, for that, uh, the um, uh, uh, but they couldn't survive in the countryside, uh, right. so, so so there were were no rats here. So it wasn't rats, for instance, that spread the Black Death. You know, in Europe, they just weren't there. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Well, Black Death probably not bubonic plague as well, which is, <laughs> bubonic plague is spread by rats. The last major bubonic plague outbreak was at the end of the nineteenth century, beginning of the twentieth, and it took twenty years to move down from uh, Mongolia. To Hong Kong uh, and again to northern India and it was identified as being rats. Uh, the, uh, a Frenchman approved the idea which the British ignored him of course because he was French so he didn't take it. <laughs> but luckily the, um, the, the, the people of San Francisco did. When bubonic plague arrived in San Francisco uh, shortly before the fire the, um, they, they put a bounty on rats and they started killing rats and, and they pretty much stopped uh, the, um, uh, the, the bubonic plague. But bubonic plague doesn't spread as quickly as the Black Death. Black Death, I think the current theory, uh, most popular theory, is it was a, probably a hemorrhagic fever of some sort, like Ebola, something that spreads quickly. Right. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, a friend of mine. You know, they found out that by looking at um, uh, uh, owl pellets. Oh, right. Okay. The, some uh, medieval uh, uh, historian archaeologist was looking at medieval dovecots, and he couldn't understand. Well, medieval dovecots had niches for doves right down the floor level. Because later on, there, there's about a four foot, six foot gap between floor level and the first uh, niche for the doves because the rats would climb up. But they went down the floor in the, uh, 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 before, uh, before that because there were no rats to come in and steal the eggs. Right, okay. So they, so they then uh, looked at uh, owl pellets uh, through history and realized that prior to around about 15, uh, 1450 odd, uh, there's, there's no rat bones in rat pellets. I love that. I love, I, I love when people make those kind of, you know, those like logical deductions. Yeah. You know? Um, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, because I remember having a bit of a, not a, like a disagreement 
with uh, yeah. Ian Grant because I had a, a belt ring on yeah. um, to put, um, you know, to put my sword in or to put my uh, axe in, sorry. And um, he turned around and was like, there, there's no evidence that they existed or something or other in our period and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. And I, I remember sort of um, talking to my girlfriend at the time about it and being like, well, you know, the, these guys built ships, you know? Sure, surely they could have built, you know, they could have made a ring with a leather loop around it so that you could put your axe in it. But she turned around and she said one of the most fantastic things about, you know, the, the way that you think about history um, is that uh, she turned to me and she said, um, yeah, but they didn't have coat hangers either. Yeah. You know, I, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course. That, you know, and I was thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, no, they didn't, did they? They had, yeah. you know, they obviously had the means of making coat hangers, but they didn't have them, as far as I'm aware. Um, so, yeah, um, when yeah, you, you you can't say because it's logical to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they did. I don't forget everything we take it for granted is built on thousands of years of yeah. thought and development by other people. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Isn't that the phrase? You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just—I I mean, I was just being belligerent because I wanted to wear this. Really, <laughs> you know, it's because I'm forever losing my axes, right? I put what them in you? the belt, and then they just—they're sliding out, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm looking for them, or, you know. Well, the thing that annoys me is people running around with a, a sword or a quiver of arrows on their back. Ah, oh, yeah, that bugs me. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because not, not just not done. It's just, it, it's not as practical as people think. I know. I've seen people do demonstrations of you know pulling arrows out. Uh, there's a wonderful young woman on one of the YouTube videos who can shoot the uh, 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 wings off a fly. It seems, and she has all her arrows on the back. But I mean, it's all done modern technology and stuff like that. It, 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 it generally bucket. I I've, I've fought as an archer uh, for years, and you know. Uh, if you're running around with the arrows on your back, they'll bounce out. Yeah. Okay. You because you can't put your hand up, but if you're on your hip, you can put your hand on top of the uh, your quiver, and keep your arrows in in the quiver when you're yeah. running. So. Well, not just that; you can look at it as well, you know, and you can see how many arrows you've got left. Or, yeah, you know exactly. You, know? you don't have to go. Where yeah. is it? You know exactly. Because yeah. that's um, I mean, going back to what we were saying about sort of reverse engineering, just because we can do something didn't mean that they did it. Uh, there's yeah. a guy um, who's got a YouTube channel and um, he uh, called uh, Shad University, Shad University, right? And um, I mean, he, he doesn't really, I, it doesn't seem like he knows a great deal about history or fencing or or anything. Um, I, you know, he's more of an entertainer, but he's like. He's got this scabbard on his back that makes it possible to draw a longsword from the back, right? Yeah. And, but it's the size of a suitcase or something. You know, it's enormous. He's like, look, it can be done. And it's like, yeah, but look at that thing. You look like an ass. It's the, you know, you've got the, the thing, that's, it looks like a harp almost strapped to your back. Why would yes. you do that? Just wear it on your hip like a normal person. Yeah. That way you can just go, there's my sword. I can look at it. There it is. Hey. Yeah, there, yeah, I saw a YouTube video recently. Um, uh, a guy who designed, I think, probably the thing he's wearing. Um, uh, there was instructions how to make uh, uh, a scabbard for your sword in the back, and it's specially designed, you know, so it sort of clips into the to the thing. But I mean, yeah. the guy that's doing it isn't 
uh, uh, on the YouTube thing, I see. I th he, he's a fantasy guy. You know, right. he, it's, it's, he, you know, he's, he's not he's not claiming that it was done. He said, "Look, this is how you can do it if you want." Yeah. But yeah, you know, nobody did it like this. This is how I do it. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it might be the same guy. Like this is a video I watched a while back, and they've all blurred into one now. Um, oh, right. You know, for me, uh, the sword from the back thing, because it bothers me that this has to be a you know a 10, 12, 15 minute video, you know. Um, why don't you wear your sword on your back? Because your arms aren't six foot long, yeah. um, for one thing. Two, you can't look at it, which is a really, it's a massive advantage to be able to go, there it is, now I can, you know, now I can pull it out. Well, there must be a good reason for keeping it on your right hip, because uh, with the exception of the Romans and the short gladius, mm. absolutely every culture, stick right across Europe and Asia at any rate, uh, and North Africa, I can't speak for the Aztecs and the like, they didn't have steel anyway, but certainly the, the society, civilizations that had steel, every single one of them wore the sword on the right hip. Even the Japanese who've got this big uh, sash, shove it in so you pull it out from the left with your, your right hand. Yeah. Uh, so, must be a good reason. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, and also you can go through doors, you know? <laughs> you could run through a door. Like, I'd be so nervous about running through a door because I think everybody in the bike at some point, if you haven't, you know, because, uh, like, when you're holding a standard, uh, like a long spear with a standard on it, um, and you run through a narrow doorway into a castle or something. I, th I think everybody's had that moment where they're like, okay, make sure that the point's first. Because if you don't, you're gonna catch both ends oh, on the door frame and just get I, everybody plowing in behind you. I uh, remember uh, in the early years where uh, 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 school visit, I uh, put my shield on my back and went to charge into a classroom. Because <laughs> the shield was wider than the door, so I, went, so I got stuck. And instinctively, instead of like twisting to get through, I just half step back and try it again. <laughs> Broke the strap off the shield. <laughs> Children loved it. <laughs> so now I don't take my shield when I go and raid the classrooms. I leave it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. um, do you remember uh, where was it? Was it Landudno, where when uh, the longhouse was set up? Um, uh, if you were there, because it was one of the comedy art shows, but uh, the, the, uh, I defended the longhouse. Uh, there was at the back of the arena. The, the, there was a village. They had a stockade set up and the longhouse in it, and they sent. Um, when I say they, I think. I think that it might have been guys in comedy actually, was sent round the back of the army that I was part of. I can't, I can't remember what, who we were playing, but the, the, to, um, um, cap, to, to, to attack the rear. Well, I was defending the village with my bow, and I shot at these guys, there's four or five of them. They all diverted and came out and said, right, we'll get Roger, and then we'll go and do it. Well, <laughs> I ran away from them and ran into the, the longhouse. So I shot a couple of them from the longhouse. Uh, the three remaining came charging up, and I drew my sword, managed to kill two of them in nice. the doorway. And then, uh, as they were, uh, the guy was running away, I stepped out of the longhouse and shot him in the back as he ran away. And it tipped the course of the battle, apparently. 
none of us knew what was going on to be honest we were just having a good time and best of all there was somebody inside the longhouse with a camera and he photographed the lot nice so photographs of all of that going on that's like something out of uh Egil's saga oh yeah it was that's, that's what i'm saying it was brilliant because it was like un- just just happened yeah it was so, I mean, I, I turned around, saw the clips with the camera. I've got this biggest smile you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> when you have those moments, because I went to, um, I went to Mosgard a couple of years ago um, with a few of the guys from the Viking Society. And like uh, Battle of a Thousand Swords, uh, it was, you know, what that's hopefully going to become. It was like a week long event. Um, and that was d- probably the closest thing I'll ever get to being on campaign um, because it was raining, uh, it was muddy. At one point, we were waiting to go onto the battle because there was no script, there was nothing like that. It's just a free fight. Good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Um, and I was um, uh, waiting with the rest of the Viking society, our guys, um, of which I think there were like 25 of us. And we were one unit waiting to go over the top, basically. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, into the battle. And I remember um, we were we were on this sort of ridge and we couldn't see the battle, but we could hear it. Right. And so it was almost like, you know, um, uh, the D-Day landing, you know, they can hear what's going on, but the, you know, the, 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 uh, the ship's about to land and you're going to charge in. And it was, it was ace. It was absolutely amazing uh, fun. And it's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to reenactment as well as doing HEMA is because I love historical European martial arts, but I love the big battles. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, at Mosgard, I had probably one of the best, um, uh, like one of the best moments for me followed in sharp relief by one of the most disappointing because oh. i i got um i got kind of isolated against four uh four guys and the the guys who were at mosgard were shit hot fighters they were really good and there were yeah. four of them and just me and um i think um uh warwick was there uh so he managed to see it and if nobody had seen it, that would have been, that would have sucked. But he managed <laughs> to see it. Uh, because I fought these four guys and I managed to take them all out, right? Yeah. And then, you know, it was, it was in the woods. I managed to take them all out and I'm bobbing and weaving between the trees, took them out. And then I'm like, right, I'm flanking, right? I'm flanking the enemy army. And I just bolted and I ran for a good five minutes and I'm huffing and puffing. And I'm like, I'm just about to hit the rear of the enemy and some guy with a two-handed spear just turns around and with no effort at all just pokes me and then turns back (laughs) (laughs) i was like and i just kind of like ran and as he poked me i just fell on my face because i was like i was exhausted i was like lying there oh you bastard so it's very real you know it's a guy you can't see that kills you Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and that's what Mosgard was all about. I kept getting taken out by a guy who was like eight, you know, eight dudes down the row, you yeah. know, um, and he would just, you know, he just nailed me. Um, and it was, it was very much the spearman who dominated. So Laura Finch, who's like the best spear, like the, the best spear I've seen was, you know, she was like battle goddess, 
you know, on that yeah. field. It's just poke dead, poke dead, you know. Um, oh, that was a that was an awesome experience. You see, now that's an interesting thing to go back to the um, Battle of a Thousand Spears. Um, and remember, I said we want to show people our combat system. What I forgot to say is one of the big differences, of course, is our two hit rule. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Laura does the same thing on our battlefield, but she doesn't kill anybody. She puts them out for 10 seconds mm. uh, because it's very rare uh, well, in a shield wall that she can get two hits on somebody within 10 seconds. Yeah. But you then combine that with our missiles. Uh, you know, that's the sort of targets I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who's on a 10 count. To, to shoot at so they can finish them off yeah. uh, whether I'm an archer or a slinger so that's one of the things that makes our, our fighting different yeah so just to um, just to clarify for the people who are listening the rules are that you get hit in a designated area um, so the face and neck obviously don't count because we're not wearing fencing masks um, or any sort of facial protection um, the arms don't count the legs uh, below the knee don't count but everything else is pretty much fair game with control you're landing the blade or the or the spear usually we we kind of um try to avoid being too pokey with the spears because i've cracked a rib or two charging into you know um, a bushel of spears and uh, things like that it's never that's never good fun um and what happens is if you get hit in one of those areas you back out you count to 10 if nothing happens to you in that time you can come right back in again if you get hit again, either by the, the same person who um, hit you in the first case or anybody else, um, you go down. That's it. You're finished. So that's how it works in the basically in our competitive system. Um, and when you've got the two hit rule, it makes for some amazing fights because Korf last year, I don't know if you remember that first battle, um, yeah. The non-scripted battle between ourselves and the Vikings. It was like 25 minutes long. Yeah. It was, there was so much ebb and flow. Um, you know, we pushed them back. They pushed us back. We pushed them back. And it was like, it, it was just a revolving door of, you know, yeah. I managed to get that hit, but the shields close up and you can't get that second hit on them. And then, you know, then, and then they're back in. Um, and it was, oh, it was ace. It was, it was. such. We, we, we've had some very good fights there for that uh, with yeah. the two hit system. The the other factor though that people forget is the space. Um, at Corf, we've got a lot of people. You know, we can have uh, we've had upwards of two hundred people on the battlefield, but it, the 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 combat space is small. So yep. there's no way of outflanking an enemy until you've destroyed a flank, basically. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 you know, you've 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 got uh, a, a stone wall and a metal fence and a sheer drop almost to to one flank uh, inside the castle, and the other side is where the audience is behind the the double rope barrier, and you just can't get round it. So that's that keeps people uh, nose to nose. Uh, okay. When we've got a more open space, and what may well happen at um, uh, at about a thousand spears, because we'll have a more much bigger space, is there would be opportunities to to get round the flanks, and that will speed. The, the fighting up it won't be as long as we can do it before now uh historically uh when uh when people fought battles and suffered from a morale you know they were scared of getting killed people didn't go flanking it's a very much a reenactism uh they don't uh, in that we a lot reenactors 
flank round by themselves. They just decide, I'm going to go around here and try and uh, see what happens and see if I can defeat lots of people and kill people before I die, knowing that they're going to go to the pub afterwards. Yeah. It, the real thing, you don't. You have to have an officer make you take these risks and lead you around, around the flanks. It's much harder. Uh, uh, the, the warriors, uh, even in the age of firearms, have a tendency to bunch up so they feel safer. It's part of our basic herd instinct, which mm. is why NCOs are screaming at people on a, on a battlefield today, spread out because they instinctively keep drawing together, making themselves easier to kill. Uh, and so that's how Vikings and Saxons and everybody else fought back then. They fought in fairly solid blocks, staying close to one another. Uh, which is very difficult to simulate in reenactment because everybody is what I call, with my wargaming background, uh, an A-class fanatic. <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what the phalanx was about, wasn't it? The guys at the back are pushing the guys at the front forwards, yeah. so that the guys at the front can't fall back or anything, and they are supporting them as well. Um, yes, they're pushing hard. But they, yeah. it's not just uh, that they can't. Uh, if, you, if you go back to your, your Greek phalanx, um, they, they, they are motivated to attack. Again, it's part of the social system. And in fact, it's the key difference. It's, um, what's his first name? Uh, Hans, I forget. There's, a, there's an American um, uh, classicist, uh, Hanson, I forget his first name, um, uh, who writes a lot of military history and stuff like that. Uh, and one of the things he's identified is uh, sort of uh, why, why, the, why the West wins battles, uh, wins wars over, over our, our uh, Eastern counterparts. Is we have a different warrior culture and it goes back to uh, the, the ancient Greeks uh, in that it's about getting stuck in with hand-to-hand -hand weapons and going for it. Most cultures fight at a distance using missile weapons. It's very, very showy. Um, over uh, about 50 years ago, it might be less now, uh, or less, uh, th there was some of the last um, Stone Age battles were fought on Earth. Uh, don't uh, you think, hang on, how can Stone Age battles be fought 50 years ago? Well, if you go to Papua New Guinea, where there are still people living in the Stone Age, you can, you can watch them. Uh, and uh, these battles are very ritualistic. They are warriors of forming up. Uh, they're shouting or they're screaming at whether before they do anything uh, and then the uh, archers go out they, or javelin ears or throwing spears they're going out and throwing at one another in a loose formation not very many people get hurt because they they can jump out of the way you know uh, and then towards the end a few of the hard men of this finally psych themselves up step forward and uh uh, brutally hack at one another uh, with, uh, uh, with with their stone weapons, and a few people are killed. And then one side says, "Oh, don't like the sight of that blood," and runs away. Uh, and this is how most battles are fought, uh, uh, in some variation of that. Uh, you know, people eventually charging around on horses, shooting arrows. This yeah. Western idea of getting stuck in and hammering tongs and keeping going forward, on, on, on is different. It's one of the things that gave the West its edge um, uh, when, when, when Western armies clashed with everybody else. And now every single army on the planet has copied the West. You know, you find an, ar a, a a, an army run by government and not uh, an organization, uh, mm. and it will look like a European army, even the Chinese. <laughs> I, I think, um, 
I think that's one of the most interesting things is looking at the motivation of warrior classes because I was reading um, a book on um, the Mongol Empire. Yeah. And what's really interesting about, uh, about the Mongols being that they were relatively you know, close with uh, the Japanese is the two kind of mentalities that have sprouted from that. So the idea that uh, you know, you've got the samurai idea that I'm going to think about death quite a lot, you know, um, so that I've got, uh, so that when it comes, I'm not going to blink, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go, okay, well, today's my day, you know, it's a good day to die, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas the, the Mongols were very much death, the, the, the uh, speaking about it or even thinking about it was a taboo. So you oh, act... Yeah, 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 yeah. So you act and you behave uh, in battle like you're going to live forever. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they go charging forward because they're like, well, I'm not going to die today. I'd, I'd say that sounds pretty Western <laughs> to me. Yeah. You know, they, they uh, kind of came across and, and, and sort of kicked the West's ass for a while. <laughs> There's a story. I find it funny. I find it really uh, like, I found it hilarious when I first read it, and I don't know, I couldn't tell you why, um, but I was laughing out loud reading about this account. I can't remember where it was, but these uh, these Mongols kind of rocked up, and uh, they surrounded this city, and they're like, they were pretty casual about it. They're like, okay, you, you, it's time for you to surrender. And the knights inside and the clergy went, okay, well, we've got the bones of this saint. If we go yeah. out, right, with the yeah. bones of this saint, it'll scare them off yeah. uh, so they went out with this glass coffin i think it was like a glass coffin f filled with remains and went uh i went hey get out of here we've got these bones and the mongols went ballistic because they're like don't show that to us because to them it was like it was the worst insult you could make <laughs> so they went from being quite casual to suddenly flipping yeah. out and having the opposite you know yeah um, the opposite reaction that these Christian knights wanted, and the knights are like, "Oh no, I think we, I think we might have messed up here because <laughs> they just came charging in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th there's a lot of that going on. I, I remember reading a, a, a story about, um, uh, I think it was Genghis Khan writing a letter to um, uh, a, a monarch uh, somewhere on the Silk Road, a powerful kingdom somewhere around about Afghanistan, or maybe a little bit north of Pakistan, uh, and I forget. Exactly, and um, uh, used a phrase, uh, an opening phrase, the the, um, the emperor of the west, the, the emperor of the rising sun, because he lived in the east, greets the emperor of the setting sun, that sort of thing. And this started sparked a diplomatic insult of misunderstanding. He wasn't trying to be disrespectful again this time. It was just an obvious geographical statement. Then the translation and everything causing more, more problems. Uh, and the, and a, a letter was written back. Uh, which sort of did Genghis down, and so, and it was a 20-year diplomatic exchange, which resulted in this kingdom being crushed and almost and wiped off the face of the earth by the Mongols when Genghis Khan finally lost his cool with them uh, <laughs> over a, a misunderstand, cultural misunderstanding. You know, um, I, love, I love that they were just trolling each other. Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> now you just do that on Facebook. You know, you just. Uh... <laughs> You send somebody a meme and they're like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, don't get me started on that. I mean, uh, yeah, social media just seems to confuse people. This has been fantastic, though. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. We'll um, we'll have to do it again. Um, okay. On down the line, if you, if you're up for that. Yeah, yeah, be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if people want to get in touch uh, with the Vikings Society, it's Vikings.org, isn't it? The website. It is. Yeah, Vikings.org. Yeah, and then find it. You know, if you're interested in getting in, uh, into Viking reenactment, um, try and have a look for your local group. We're scattered around the place. Uh, it is really, really good fun. Like, uh, hopefully, from listening to this, you've got kind of a taste of how much fun it can be. Um, but uh, yeah, um, and if there are any people who wanted to book you in for educational purposes, where would they get in touch with you? Um, they can go to the Manorafen website. Uh, that's um, M-A-N-A-R-A-E-F-A-N um, uh, uh, .co.uk. So the www, missed that bit out, www.manorafen.co.uk www.academyofsteel.com or look for us on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or you can shoot us over a question at info at academyofsteel.com